Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast. Weekly insights into everything video. Proudly presented by worldpodcast.com. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me on episode 4. I'm Blair Walker on the Pro Video Podcast. We'll be gaining insights and knowledge from incredible content creators around the world. Expect to hear tips and stories across all areas of creating video content, plus the tools and technologies that help us. On this episode, I'm talking with Johnny Coford, motion director and co-owner of Assembly. In New Zealand, Johnny Coford is respected as one of the top motion design directors. It was awesome to have Johnny join me in the studio so that I could ask him some questions about his career and background, as well as their latest work, including Inside Out, a stunning motion design film. Let's go to that conversation now with Johnny Coford. Thanks so much, Johnny, for joining us on the show tonight. Thank you for having me. I've been a huge fan of the work that you've been doing for well over a decade. I think first time I saw your work was when I joined FCB and everybody in the creative department always wanted to work with Johnny Coford. And so oh, it's too much, too much, buddy. No, nah, it's so true. And it still stands today. It's um it's a great pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Do you mind taking a couple of minutes? and explaining the work that you do and the work that Assembly does. Really brief sort of overview of where you're at now. Yeah, so Assembly is a relatively new company. We're about seven years old now, and that's relatively new in the the scheme of things, I guess, with Auckland's uh, motion design, visual effects ecosystem. But um, yeah, so we have sort of a visual effects design, motion design, and digital kind of department. And we all kind of cross-pollinate quite a lot. So based on the job, we all kind of cross over quite a lot. Um, you'll get uh, visual effects guys working on digital projects, digital guys working on motion projects. So there's that kind of um, sort of base structure and about 20 full-time staff. So depressingly, by today's standards, we are considered a large company in New Zealand. Uh, yeah, and we service predominantly advertising agencies um, and predominantly in New Zealand, Australia, and the US. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to dive into your your career and your history in a while, but I really wanted to dive straight into a recent project that you've just released that I saw for the first time yesterday, and it was absolutely stunning. It looked like a huge amount of work and love had gone into it. Um, do you mind sort of explaining what that project was? Yeah, so I can only assume you're referring to the Anchor project. I am. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, This is a bit of a journey for us, I guess. We started sort of August last year, I think, was when we took the brief. Uh, Came through Colenso. They have a client in Fonterra that is sort of interested now in talking to that kind of millennial kind of client which is a tricky one for milk because um i guess our preconception of the gen y millennials is they're not really interested in health which is actually the opposite um so enter assembly uh with the brief um and we were given pretty much open reign on it which we really took advantage of and really tried to push the boundaries of what uh the client and the agency were going to be comfortable with we've had a lot of uh years working with Colenso, so there's a fantastic relationship there already and a lot of trust but um, I guess 
the challenge to ourselves was to kind of make this sort of piece resemble more content than an ad, knowing that this particular demographic would smell a rat when it came to advertising. <laughs> so hence it uh, resembling a film. It's, I think it's about two minutes, two minutes Just long. Just over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've cut it down and, and, and up a few times, moved around in duration. But um, I guess the basic kind of premise was to kind of not show our cards too quickly with that as a piece of communication and just sort of take people on a bit of a journey. Um, Harry Baker, who's the poet across all three in the campaign, um, his words alone are just amazing, Mm. which is why we kind of jumped on the project in the first place. For motion design, where you're at the kind of, uh, you spend a little bit of time at the kind of crunchy end of budgets, quite often the soundtrack can be the thing that really lets a piece down. So when this job sort of came about, the soundtrack was already there, the genius stroke of uh, a couple of creatives. Who were those um, creatives? Samuel and Georgia. Nice. And uh, Georgia, um, I think she's only been at Cleanso for a little while, but um, she actually knows Harry Baker. So oh, really? it was a bit of a kind of one of those things. It's like, hey, I've got this buddy who <laughs> just happens to be a well famous slam poet. Yeah, I've <laughs> yeah. never heard of slam poetry. And yeah, since, we're old though, yeah. Blair. So, <laughs> you <is> know. <laughs> The past 24 hours, I've watched a lot of Harry, and it's like, it's pure genius. He's a mathematician turned world champ slam poet. It's awesome. Yeah, he's fantastic. And I think even working on that job, I think my experience was coloured knowing by what kind of guy he was, like being a bit of a nerd and just so passionate. So, yeah, that was the sort of starting point. I thought, well, it was actually, yeah, Matt Trott, my business partner, was kind of like, well... This is a bit of an opportunity, really. What a good kind of springboard from motion job. And the whole time I just thought of that staccato kind of style of, you know, versing. And I thought for animation, it's just, you know, being selfish and everything. I just thought, man, imagine just swinging off that. So, yeah, we started. And, um, yeah, Dave Brady, who's overseeing the project. um, Dave, I've I've worked with him for years. years. (laughs) One of the uh, FCB alumni. Yeah, yeah. Um, And just a real kind of gentle kind of character, super smart, only says a few words and every word kind of really counts. So um, just always looking forward to working with that guy. So we pounced on it and just went in. And it it was really interesting because we worked for such a long time on it without the client seeing it. There were obviously some anxieties around you know where we were pushing it yeah we just had to kind of really kind of i guess reiterate you know for me when it, when i'm doing a piece of communication i guess it's all about what are you trying to say who you're trying to say it to yeah. that's that real caveman kind of simple kind of mantra <laughs> and um we just sort of kept that in the back of our heads and um yeah just sort of worked our way through the film and there's so many iterations of it you know like it was, it just, it, it just changed so much. But the irony, I guess, is that it's just so simple. It's black yeah. and white. It's got one camera move. You're kind of forced into like a bit of a, I guess, a situation really through the discipline of having one camera move and just having no color. You really have to wheel your brain out a little bit and think about how you're going to animate scenes and do transitions. Yeah. Yeah. It's really quite beautiful, but it's it's got a it, there's a level of complexity, but there's a lot of um, control. The forms are really beautiful. I'm thinking in particular that droplet of milk that's just got so much energy, but it's just simple and pure. 
with another little droplet pulling out and then sucking back in just as it's coming off screen. Just really nice little details. Yeah, I guess that's that kind of um, the thing that we always kind of go on about is that art and science kind of crossover. And while I'm designing at the same time, we've got some really smart people who are playing with like mathematics driven kind of animation. And that was the kind of, you know, at the hand of uh, Alex McLeod, who's kind of wheelhouses, rubbery figures and goopy things. And yeah, getting him involved in that project was a bit like pushing on an open door, really. He just kind of jumped in there and started playing with stuff. So that milk drop sort of thing was just a, it was a bit of a test really about where we can push milk in zero gravity, but it was just perfect just to kind of like introduce a product. Yeah. Obviously knowing that if we show a smiling kid drinking a glass of milk or someone pulling a bottle out of a fridge, we've lost the audience instantly. So just trying to reinvent things that way. Yeah. And then also it is an animation piece and yes, we use computers to make it, but I guess I'm always really interested in how you make it not look like it's been made by a computer. Like how do we kind of keep it really filmic? and cinematic and, um, you know, grainy and a bit soapy, you know, like it's that kind of, um, I guess the danger with animation is you only need two keyframes to move something yeah. and it's not very human. So that kind of organic kind of feeling would seem, it felt really kind of, um, had to be genuine, just yeah. like Harry's voice. Yeah. What I really loved was the, it wasn't motion blur. It was, um, yeah. It was almost a print of, of what the motion was going to do. Yeah. The streets. The was, echo, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the echo is really beautiful. Yeah. And I hadn't seen that used in that way. And because it was um, black and white, it was a really strong graphic technique that really punched. Yeah, dangerous one, I reckon. Like, it could have really worn people's eyes out. Like, if it sort of you know, outstayed its welcome a little yeah. bit on the screen. But I think people are used to seeing things like sunsets on 35 mil and that echo effect is a similar kind of burning into film kind of effect. Yeah. So yeah, it just sort of felt there's a big sort of post process that went through that just was just image processing after we'd finished all the animation that just sort of glued everything together. Cause we had photography, um, you know, typography, uh, shot footage, um, 3d animation. And I just wanted to have a, I wanted to use quite a heavy hand on it to kind of like glue everything together. Yeah. Because, you know, when collage goes wrong, you've got these different kind of styles and textures. And I just felt like a, that discipline needed a, a kind of really heavy effect that just glued it all together. There was some effects that I really liked with with the, um, the bike doing the jump. And you get this effect of um, almost like fireworks exploding off behind him. Mm. which transitions into this chemistry phase of the film. And, it, and it's just really beautiful because the transitions are really seamless, but you can sort of see the different parts to it, which I really like. Yeah, you're probably like me, Blair. Like sometimes it's the bits in between that are the most fun. <laughs> yeah. Like with motion, it's the transition sometimes mm-hmm. is, the, is everything. I often find with like, motion design animating yourself into a bit of a corner can be a really good thing we don't quite know how you're going to get to the next shot because there's a danger with storyboarding I guess where you kind of everything's very speculative and you kind of discuss it with paper and you think you know what the best result is and probably just because it's obvious whereas there's nothing like sitting there blankly with your 
computer for a day going like, how am I going to turn a bike into some fizzy bubbles? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I love that kind of getting yourself in a bit of a corner and animating your way out. Yeah. So with this project, you're saying that for a long time you um, were creating it before sort of showing the agency. Well, we definitely showed the agency. Was it? It wasn't. It, we didn't so much show the client. We yeah. needed to get a little bit down the track first because you know what it's like sometimes when you go and see your house uh, with scaffolding around it. Yeah, it's, it's a bit hard scary. to <laughs> explain what the final product is going to yeah. look like. But um, yeah, because I was a little bit nervous about this project in general I kind of um, sort of talked to Nick Worthington and Dave about just doing a little animation test first cool. and the animation test was going to look quite finished and I sort of had this idea in my head about the singular camera move and typography driving it and I thought I could probably demonstrate that in about 10-15 seconds of animation and I've done this before with a couple of jobs where I've just kind of gone, I just need to earn everyone's trust and actually just sort of make the finished product. Yeah. Because everything before they, you know, until everyone can get in the, same, in the room and kind of look at that image and go, that's it. Yeah. Like everyone from account directors to producers and everyone just goes, thank God, okay, yeah, it's ticking all the boxes. Yeah. Jobs can be pretty tricky. So, yeah, I did, I did a little snippet, which is pretty much the start bit. Right. Where it starts off and the title of the film comes up and the camera starts tracking to the right and we go past a few kind of cityscapes. So I've kind of established the kind of tone being urban. I've got the name of the piece at the start, which is very anti-advertising. Great for social. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking about gift loops the whole time. Like, was it gift loop? Yeah. But, you know, as a result, you kind of, for me, that first shot is your kind of lure. Yeah. And if you don't get that right, you, you know, especially with online stuff, people click out really quickly. So yep. if you can create a bit of intrigue and a bit of a slow burner as well, advertising kind of generally tries to kind of hit lots of points. You know, yep. these days it trying to, tries to say too much. It's really intriguing. As soon as um, Harry starts his poetry, it's just so engaging by that point. And, yeah. And, and then you know that it's something quite different. Yeah. Congratulations on that piece. I think it's absolutely awesome. And we'll have the link in the show notes. I wanted to sort of understand a little bit about your history and how you started out in the industry. Where did you, what is your background? Rewinding, I guess, right back. I came from a bit of a creative kind of family. Well, definitely, I guess, years ago, doing tertiary education and getting into the arts was a little bit frowned upon Hmm. still. Now, not so much as it was like, say, in the... um, in the 40s in Germany but uh, <laughs> but there still was that kind of like um, you know what's your role in society kind of thing going on and I guess the fact yep. that my folks and in particular my sister who is an industrial designer sort of made it easy for me to make that decision and you know I kind of went through Wellington Design School back in the day where the tutors were amazing <laughs> like you had like Gavin Hipkins teaching you photography and like the, the resources are amazing like Terence Hanscom was like uh, one of my kind of interactive kind of tutors so it was just a really inspiring place to be yeah. and it had, they really um, encouraged students from different streams to kind of cross pollinate and I just got, I got that caught on fire there and then before I knew it I'd kind of changed degree about four or five times before I graduated started off in textiles no I started off in industrial moved into textiles started doing graphic design 
picked up animation, kind of was interested in that, and then ended up graduating with an interactive degree, okay. with a, or a double degree with animation as well. Yeah, I couldn't get enough of it. I was <laughs> going to night school doing printmaking as well at the same time on top really? of my degree. So I was kind of, after going to like being sent to a Catholic boys' school because I was um, in, into sports. Yeah, <laughs> it was like I was I was being released from prison, and um, yeah, then I guess. The day of my graduation, got a couple of job offers, and one of them was at Silver Screen, which is a film company from yesteryear, and that was really weird. And uh, I kind of just really gravitated gravitated towards the people there, and um, and that was me for the next sort of decade, because out of Silver Screen came October, and I was the first sort of employee there, and it grew to about sixty people pretty quickly, and I got to see that whole. Yeah, that wave of (laughs) the advertising at its best going to its worst, you know, in terms of like, you know, budgets shrinking and film film sinking companies. And I got to see it all sort of firsthand. So I went from champagne on the lawn to a guy coming and taking the water cooler um, within sort of, you know, what was it, 10 years. So, yeah, amazing experience. Yeah, to be at the ground level and to see all that, it was... um a bit after the dot com bubble burst, yeah. But it seemed like it was a similar wave, yeah. <laughs> totally, yeah. yeah. It was just, yeah. It kind of took everyone by surprise, I guess. Mm. But yeah, as a business owner now, I guess this more humble kind of approach. You take the business now, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, the lessons are amazing. You kind of learn a lot about people at that kind of time, and you know, I still take, stay in touch with Jeff Dixon. He was instrumental to kind of like so many people in the industry. He just had that eye for like, mm, no, you shouldn't be there. You should be doing this. And yeah. he'd tell you and the next day it would happen and your career's changed. So I look back on all those times quite fondly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that you've got those opportunities now, having your own company, seeing young talent and going, have you tried this over here? Yeah, it's definitely, things are a lot more lean now, but... Yeah, definitely. It's been weird because Assembly's a small company, really. Like, out of our 20 people full-time, like, we're about, usually about a four to five at max kind of motion design kind of department within that. So it is tough because we're not really a first job company. You kind of need people to hit the ground running a little bit. So those the people that we're kind of employing, well, most of our employees, like some of them have got more experience than me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not like I'm going, Hey, have you tried? They're like, "Uh, Hey, have you tried? Um, Yeah. Do you you think though, for um, people coming out of um, education, that there's a bit of an expectation across the board that in a way, when we were graduating, we didn't have this plethora of online tutorials and training and things like that. And so it was a little bit of a tradesmanship yeah. learning from mentors. Yeah. Where now the expectation is we need you to do this role. That's what we're hiring for. You should know how to do it. It's funny you should mention that. I haven't really given too much thought to the apprenticeship type kind of, I guess, analogy for our industry, but... It's definitely the case, eh? Way back. Yeah. Before we had internet. Yeah, especially with Flames <laughs> and Infernos yeah. and those kind of proprietary systems. Even colorists, which was yeah. very much a training very much a senior colorist. And yeah. Who did you train under? Kind yeah. of even, even, you know. And that's that, that's kind of how I learned, at this, well, the silver screen days anyway, was yeah. like, can you get on a flame at night when no one's using it? Yeah. Whereas now, yeah, it's definitely... Um, 
self-directed learning. Um, of course, the quality of self-directed learning through the our YouTube tutorials now has it's, it's stepped up. But at the same time, it's a big thing to ask of someone because I think there's not too many people in the world, I reckon, that can just sit there and learn without that kind of human contact, eh? No, no. It's got I, harder in that sense. Yeah, and I think that's probably why schools are still really important. Um, I've got a nephew who's actually looking to um, enter into the industry. I'm sort of saying, look at accounting or medicine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. Yeah. <laughs> look somewhere else. But yeah. it's... Um, there are so many different resources for learning, whether it's um, FX PhD for visual effects or digital tutors for 3D things. But I think sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And yep. having that formal education plan and that focus, but also the support of real flesh and blood people right next to you who are yep. going through the same struggles. and yeah. I think the thing with education is the live brief and the kind of rolling kind of style of the brief as well. Mm -hmm. Whereas I guess a lot of those tutorials are trying to kind of um, sort of more shotgun approach to try yeah. and suit everyone but there's nothing like having a really good tutor that pulls you aside and kind of goes you know you're kind of pointing yourself in the wrong direction a little bit here I think um, it can't really be replaced I think there's some really procedural kind of things that can be learned software wise uh, which with those tutorials are fantastic like um, I forgot how to track in 3D and you just type it into YouTube and there's a there's someone with a really pleasing Canadian accent telling you how to do it. You know, that's great. Yeah. Organic, you know, it's tricky. You're not going to ever pick up any of that stuff. And that's why you go to design school and get the formal education is because you surround yourself with other students that you collaborate with and your tutors kind of sniff out whether you've been a little bit contrived and, you know, well, that's the ideal, I yeah. guess. You know, if you can find a place that, you know, lets uh, an industrial designer uh, do a major project with an interior designer and the yeah. stuff they learn and seeing that, it's just, you know, it's amazing. That's the goal, I think, with education. Thinking about when we came through school, you're probably similar that, my degree was computer graphic design. I didn't even touch a computer for the first year. Yeah. It was all about typography, yeah, yeah. <laughs> color theory, the fundamentals. And yeah. it's, um, that's something that I really rely falling back on because it's sometimes just really easy to use a neat little gimmick that might yes. be more technical based. But the essence of design and communication this is where I need to pull it back to to yep. really communicate well. Yeah, no tricks. Yeah, typography, once again fantastic like nothing to hide behind right yeah it's just form yeah and there's no kind of bells or whistles or fireworks it's just you know expression of negative space and a great thing to kind of call someone out with on a portfolio i reckon you can tell a lot about a designer just about their kind of sensibilities the type whereas yeah the kind of ease of plugins and effects driven stuff now I kind of feel like we've passed that wave a little bit, though. I do too. It's I think interesting. We probably, yeah. I've, I kind of just regret even saying that then. I think we kind of, that's probably like five years ago that the last of that kind of stuff was happening with people to get wowed by kind of a plug in. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, more people I talked to, um, I even had a section where I'd ask people what plugin they were using and plug a plugin and stuff. And then I just realized that all of us have just dropped them. <laughs> and it's yeah. just. It's it's really been brought back, and I think that's almost um, motion design coming of age, yep. where it has been a young industry. You and I, I don't think we're old men, but we're sort of at the 
definitely the, getting there. Yeah, we're at the <laughs> oldest stage of um, motion design. We don't you yeah. don't see too many established fifties. No, 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 motion designers. The industry is coming into a maturity of its own. Have you seen that as well with motion design and visual effects? Yeah, I kind of I do draw a little bit of a line between visual effects and motion design. I think. Um, been involved with both and the functions are quite different i think motion design you're just so entwined with business communication that you're thinking your processes are all around kind of like demographic and uh what language you're using you yeah. know whereas visual effects i guess gets a little bit more into that um there's so many different roles that and a lot of them kind of procedural kind of roles where you you, you do what you do well each time but you know, certainly with a, working in New Zealand as a motion designer, you get thrown a different communication challenge like pretty much every week, which is what keeps it interesting, I guess. Eh, the fact that there are different sort of stories to tell, and yeah, a mutual friend of ours uh, who I got in contact with today, Guy Thompson. Ah, GT. Yeah, he um, because we studied together, and he ended up going to Weta, and. Um, I think that our background had been so focused on design that that experience taught him a lot and I sort of learned vicariously through him about how much we love to to really get into so many different aspects of creating content and communication versus rotoscoping shadows for a month. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that very focused, task-driven, rising through the ranks kind of process of VFX. Yeah, I got I got a taste for film work in my kind of twenties when I worked on Lord of the Rings because we we're getting some overflow work, yeah. and I did it at the lowest level, and then at a, in a at a reasonably moderate kind of you know intermediate compositing level, and I did find that kind of lack of contact where you just sort of get your shot packs and you you do your shot. And some of the fun bits have already been done by, you know, Weta Digital have already done the, already done the <laughs> matte yeah. painting for the background. It just didn't seem quite as fun as taking on the whole thing by yourself, which yeah. is what motion design, I guess, in its early days, because it was so foggy, that term, yeah. you could kind of bite off as much as you wanted. Yeah. So, you know, you end up, you know, one day doing like a graphics piece and then next week directing a car commercial. Like you could put yourself anywhere you wanted. And that kind of ambiguity with that term opened so many doors. Yeah. You just had to keep that momentum going, really. Yeah. Prove that you could do it and then jump into it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's weird, like today, how budget conscious everyone is like in terms of clients. You'd think there'd be more opportunities for those people to really jump in at the slightly higher end but I think it's got harder in some ways everyone's kind of staying in their lane a little bit I've noticed at the moment yeah in what way um I guess because of the pressure you got more directors kind of really pushing themselves into their specialty kind of roles as directors so whereas I used to float around quite a lot and a lot of people like me used to kind of like dabble and stuff I guess you don't really not in New Zealand anyway you don't see as much of it happening maybe playing things a little bit safer now kick the ball in the touch you know you, you get you know usually if you got a three-way pitch you'd chuck a wild card on there yeah. and every now and then that wild card would win and you get a really interesting job out of it but i think these days you've got like three very similar kind of directors pitching on the same thing right ultimately two of them having their time wasted <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know and i'm like I, i've always replaced the word pitching with begging <laughs> it makes so much more sense yeah it's an industry that's um 
got a lot of approaches that have been here for a while, pitches being one of them. And it's, it's, I think from, for people on the outside, it's really um, a strange thing mm. because you know, agencies are involved in pitches all the time as well. And it's a huge investment um, yeah. to roll the dice. It's also a corporate methodology mm. because it doesn't, is the, there's no consistency with the idea of pitching. It's not like you get photographers to pitch on work. No. You just sort of handpick certain creative areas to kind yeah. of like battle it out. I'd love to pit, um, get some chefs to pitch for my meal. Yeah, that'd be actually <laughs> really cool. Like yeah. just at an entree kind of stage maybe. Yeah. And then you kind of go, I'm going to go with that as the main. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. It is weird though, isn't it? Because... I think, you know, pitching and bidding, you know, traditionally had been around kind of who was going to build the bridge. Yeah. Who was going to get the construction gig. But when you're pitching on jobs that are kind of like these days, the budgets are getting a lot smaller. It's getting tricky. Yeah, definitely. So when you were at October, before that you were working on um, compositing boxes, was it? With flame and things like that? And then you yeah, had a bit no, of a that transition? Was, that was through October. Through October? Yeah. yeah. So I kind of got into the flame inferno thing, proprietary hard, hardware. Um, I saw a you know $1.4 million inferno get craned into the building. And then a few years later I saw um, some people using... Um, grinders to saw it up to fit it in the skip bin that's crazy it's amazing that democratization of tools when it came yeah. to like the pc revolution we kind of talked chatted about it before it's yeah. hilarious and i don't think assembly would be around without that movement yeah you know because we were we, we were right at the tail end of having to spend all that money on flames and infernos and that's just prohibitive really I don't think a lot of people coming into the industry now could fully appreciate it. You know, it's something which cost a good few hundred thousand dollars, if not half a million dollars, was a Da Vinci Resolve to yeah. be able to grade on. And then a few years later, we're only talking about 10 years ago, and then a few years later it was a few hundred, and then it was 150, and then it was 50, and then it was 30, and now it's literally free. Yeah, and to see that sort of turnaround in a decade is quite—it's quite crazy. It makes you realise that um, the tools will change, and you have to change with them. But the fundamental aesthetic design, creativity, those things aren't, and that's what you're yeah. really bringing to the work. There was really one really interesting thing that happened with those infernos and flames, which you know, it's SGI was the computer company, so they basically serviced three industries: visual effects, medicine, and military. So massive price tags. But um, and with massive price tags came that massive hourly rate for the artist. Mm. So what that kind of required of the operator was to work at a certain speed, yeah. and often work attended, which I found really valuable from a kind of getting fast kind of point of view. But from a creative point of view, like that's that's kind of you know that's our time to kind of be alone and kind yeah. of solve those problems. And my thing about um, my biggest problem with Flame and Inferno. Was that it? Kind of, it kind of promoted this professionalism in a negative sense. That you know, professionals are people that do the right thing every time. Um, they never make mistakes. My creative process is making a lot of mistakes, yeah. and then weeding through them, and then joining mistakes up, and then kind of trying to get to the final product. Um, some people, clients included, don't like to watch someone make lots of mistakes when you're getting paid nine hundred dollars an hour. Yeah which, you know, not exaggerating, that's what we're getting billed out at, like in the early days, between yeah. 800 and $900 an hour. 
So as a result, you became lazy. You kind of went for the soft sell every time. You kind of go, you do the thing you've already done before. You never really experimented. Yeah. wasn't time for it. So yeah, that movement to the, to the domestic computer and just putting all the pressure on your brain was fantastic. And then you got editors, you know, they freaked out for like two days. They're like, oh, now anyone can edit because you, you, it's on your Mac laptop. But of course, no editing's about storytelling and yeah. a lot of uh, decision making that only takes you know takes a lot of time to kind of you know learn. So yeah, yeah, wholeheartedly agree. It's been a really interesting one for me, where a lot of times with the work that we are doing, we are having some people attend, but we're definitely sort of got that balance as well to create that time where we, we, we can play an experiment. Yeah, that's the trick, eh? Yeah. I think there's definitely a time where it's quite nice to include mm-hmm. a client because I guess there's that dark art thing with visual effects and animation, which is like it's a wireframe and no one understands it until it's finished, but it's actually a really inclusive process. So I, I guess I'm, I'm not shutting that down at all. But yeah, having that little time to kind of do some, I even think like making some really obvious mistakes just so you know what the enemy looks like is really important as well from a creative yeah. process. You know, <laughs> knowing what the symptoms are of something when it's going wrong so you, you know to avoid them when you're creating other iterations. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting it's thought. It's creative process. Eh? It really is. <laughs> I felt this quite a bit myself where I will um, basically think through a creative process before I'll actually action it based on um, something that a creative has brought up. It's not that it usually becomes the solution, but that journey gets shifted and that's where it can end up in a really interesting place that you've just literally just gone on a different path. So in other words, a series of mistakes, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just it's paths is like a really kind of um, positive way of kind of spinning <laughs> it, I guess. But there, when you get into a kind of free kind of flow, kind of things just pop out, and you kind of start joining them up. You know that kind of canvas style of working is really interesting, like Illustrator, and where you've got all everything sitting in front of you, as opposed to just the iteration you're working on. I always find that really interesting as a design process. That kind of like seeing where you've come from like immediately so disengagement from the screen thing again with like working on a computer it's really it's tough like most of the time you try and solve all the problems without getting on a box obviously and then just use it for execution but there are some interesting things about some of the software the fact that you know after effects still has a screen with a little scissors and a pen icon next to it that's still as close as you can get to like a piece of paper and a real set of scissors and a pen right like it encourages you to stay engaged with your screen whereas like compositing software I want to move something create a move node you instantly have to disengage every time you lose that kind of flow yeah one of my guys is working on a 3D project and it's his first 3D project and um and what you were saying earlier it's it's almost like you are going to make mistakes so run at them get through them as fast as you can because if you are fearful of doing that, you will procrastinate. It will hold you back. So don't yep. be worried. Just embrace it. Hit them, and you'll get to where you, where you will end up. So yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's um, it has to be encouraged. Yeah, I think the natural tendency is to once again be pretty professional and yeah. to be doing the right thing every time. But man, it's a dangerous path to take. I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So since starting Assembly seven years ago now. Big change for you becoming an owner of a company as well as um, a creative motion designer and director. 
what lessons has that taught you in in the last few years? I guess now that I've I've got producers um, on the payroll and I can make decisions for the business on the fly, it's meant that I've kind of started to engage, I guess, creatives up the chain on a much more kind of, um, you know, intimate kind of way. Like um, it's less funneling things through, you know, the old kind of way of, you know, going through the producers. We have quite important relationships now with creatives. Yeah because we can make those calls on the spot. We don't have to run it by uh, mum and dad anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's kind of falls, you know, that spreads your job out a little bit more. You kind of go into business development. Yeah. Um, always looking around the corner about what's coming, you know, down the track as well. I don't know. I, f- I, I found it really liberating. And I think you do get to that point where you kind of know if you want to have your own kind of shop as well. Yeah. And it sort of starts, you know, usually with barbecues. Like you have a barbecue first and then you talk to your buddies about like, hey, we should do this ourselves. It always starts with some tongs involved for some reason. I should probably have more barbecues then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, before you know it, you're doing it and it's exciting and terrifying all mixed into one. At some point you're running a business and you're dealing with other people's money as well when it comes to a job. You know, and we kind of did everything on our own backs, which was great. So we get to make our own calls, but then you got projects coming in with a million dollars plus attached to them. You know, there's some stresses involved, and yeah, you know, where the the buck stops with us, it's our houses on the line. Yeah, it's not anyone else's. We don't just lose our job and walk away. We kind of we'll, we have to own it. So I guess it forces you to have quite a different relationship with your clients as well, which I've always I really like from the October days. You know, we're really encouraged to pick up the phone and chat to your clients and try and get as far up the chain as you can. It's that kind of um, whatever it takes to do a good job. From what I've seen from my side is that you're hugely respected and that's, you know, um, I think why so many people want to work with you and it's um, not only for the amazing work that you do but you're a really bloody good guy. Oh, and thanks, I think, buddy. So I think that that's it's a, a big reason why so many of the creatives out there want to engage you. And it's why for the rest of us, we sort of get compared to, and it's like we know that we've done a good job and it's like, oh, that, that looks like it could have come out of assembly. Nice work. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> You've yeah. got a huge amount of work on your site, wicked projects, when you think about the back catalogue of assembly, what are the ones that stick out? Yeah, I guess um, those jobs that really kind of, you kind of have to put your kind of heart on the line and kind of, I guess like Woman's Refuge for me was one of the first jobs, like, you know, as a growing up, I was kind of given and I knew that it had to work. It wasn't about kind of, um, you know, thinking about awards or kind of thinking about your show reel. You kind of got, you kind of had to take a step back and kind of go, our lives are involved here. And, you know, we've always talked about this, and that's the kind of the end goal, really, when it comes to, like, doing our job, is you kind of do back yourself as a, you know, someone in communication, and can you actually affect change? And if you can, then it's like, well, why don't you make some good change? And it's like, well, are you good enough to (laughs) actually pull it off? So I found that job really um, stressful in the sense that I put a lot of pressure on myself to kind of make sure that it was working. The first time I kind of had that feeling was actually a yogurt commercial. Oh, really? <laughs> I got this job, which was like, um, well, for different reasons, but it's important, I guess, for context. But yeah, uh, I did this job. It went quite well. And as a result, they end up selling like something or other, like millions of litres more yogurt 
you know, a year as a result of it. And they didn't change the amount of media spend. Um, they just changed the way they were telling the story. And that was through this motion concept that I came up with. And, what was um, that motion concept? It was just um, a way of showing natural products um, in a very kind of abstract, creative way. So much more textural yeah. as opposed to someone... Um, Drinking slow motion from a, a glass yeah. or um, pouring um, yeah, milk into a barrel or something. It was just a much more textural kind of like playing with the psychology of appetite appeal. And um, it resonated with people and they sold all this extra <laughs> amounts of yogurt. And it was really um, naive of me, but at that point I kind of realized like, oh, I actually turned the business around and they made a lot of money, but they also connected with people because of what I'd done. Yeah, and it was the first time I kind of thought, oh, maybe what I'm doing works. I'm a I'm an effective communicator, <laughs> so that really put me on the spot, I guess, because I was like, ah, oh, well, then I guess all those questions of social responsibility and, you know, are you doing commercials for gambling or uh, would you take on a cigarette commercial out of Asia if the money was good? You know, all those things yeah. kind of like became really important, especially like when you're a parent as well. You kind of like, you know, your kids are going to measure you on how you kind of make these decisions. So, yeah, I guess when Women's Refuge came up, it was that kind of like, I know how to do this. And um, having a client that was just so happy about the result and just so genuine, and it wasn't about kind of shifting units, it was about public awareness, was just so rewarding. It was that kind of um, one of those tests, you know, you know when your mum asks you what you do for a living and you're kind of like, <laughs> you, you want to have a better answer than uh, directing uh, Lexus commercials, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think that that would have definitely made it so much more scarier having going into that project with that realisation of how much impact you can have. I can definitely see people coming into the industry probably won't be aware how potent video content as a channel of communication is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's kind of micro examples of it as well in industry, like, you know, it's that classic gap jeans changing their typeface slightly and then selling <laughs> millions and millions of dollars more product. You know, it's yeah. that kind of why has such a seemingly minuscule adjustment ended up, you know, saving a company? You know, like, it's it's amazing the way you can cast a spell on someone once you get them involved. So, yeah. It's always interesting too is observing a success that wasn't really planned for and then the analysis post to try and recreate that. Yeah. <laughs> and how much energy can be put into yep. recreating something that no one fully understood in the first place why it was so successful too. I think that that couldn't lead you down the road of trying to just redo what has been done. Yes. What I really like about your work and Assembly's work is that every project feels like it's a big step out of a comfort zone forward. Yeah, we like taking risks for sure. Life gets pretty boring, I guess, if you don't. It's also just kind of, um, I think there's an expectation of it as well, that reinvention, you know. And I, I kind of, I'm, hes- I'm a little bit hesitant when I talk about it because at the same time, people who kind of talk about ripping off other stuff versus it's an it's a language yeah you know there's that kind of thing with advertising where it's like is the idea original and everything and there's the counter to that which is there's no such thing as an original idea but then as a designer i kind of go well there's a language that's an established language and if it's suitable 
and effective for a certain audience, then I kind of go like, well, then you should be using that language for your client. So at the same time, while I'm a risk taker and I, you know, I get burnt as well because you know take risks and some clients don't buy it and you have to get your tail between your legs. But um, at the same time, I'm a big believer in we are part of the communication chain and it needs to work. Yeah. We're not artists. There's nothing stopping me from staying at home and creating artwork, making my own films. I don't do that. I, I like a brief. I like going to work with other people. I like the fact that some of my clients will come in and kind of go like, nah, and I have to kind of use my head. Like, yeah. I like that. I think it's that president of DNAD said it once. He just took all the, stripped all the romance out of it. He said, like, we augment the business communication, <laughs> something or other. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, he just took all the fun out of it. And he just said it with a smile on his face. And I was just like, that's really interesting because it's totally true. Of course, there's room to be artistic and certain jobs let you kind of um, be really abstract with your thinking and really challenge people in certain ways. But at the end of the day, we are part of that communication chain where we're trying to create a change, stimulate um, movement. It's like a, yeah, it's a job still. Yeah, I've seen it before where some big ideas and it's actually just taken a few attempts at selling it in and the clients are then comfortable with moving forward because it's not completely brand new whether it's basically because it's the third time they've seen it I don't yeah know. it's that soft sell hard sell kind of thing eh? that, that i guess the the soft sell is it'll look just like the matrix but it'll have your product yeah at the, in the middle and the hard sell is um sony balls you know uh, some, uh rubber balls bouncing down the street and uh, different colors and it's like uh, it's a TV commercial, you know. It's like, and then the marriage of movement and music is that thing where trust has to become involved. It's that thing of professionalism again, eh? People don't want to look like idiots. Yeah, they want to do it right every time. And I think you got to put your neck out a little bit. You know, I've had a few jobs that have haven't quite landed. Agency turn around and kind of go, well, how do I sell that to client? And I'm kind of like going. To leap to, of faith. To, to quote, yeah, to quote the great Len Cheeseman, it's a junior trust. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Like, it's just like, you know, I've been on conference calls with Len before in the past, and he's just kind of gone like, you know, I'm obviously doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a junior trust. Yeah, which I think that you've definitely earned with the work that you've created over the last, I won't say how many years. It's frightening, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> at the same time, um, everybody needs to keep evolving and looking at what potentially might be in the future and sort of seeing that you Assembly has been dipping their toes into the world of VR with Unity and trying some things. Yep, for sure. What was the driving force behind that and the motivation to do it when you did do it? And what are those projects that you're trying out? I think we've had a pretty digitally focused company from the start. I think we've kind of... Um um, the three creative partners, we kind of, you know, I cover off the design and motion side of things. Demo is 3D and uh, more live action and Matt's digital director. So it's always kind of been one of the cylinders of the engine, <laughs> yeah, I guess. It was just the client need for it, I guess. It's um, definitely another screen to be considering, I guess. You know, we went from that kind of revolution of TV and cinema through to desktop and mobile um, it's just the next iteration, I guess. Bit of a rewiring on our um, behalf to kind of like, in terms of our heads, like how we kind of 
start dealing with those narratives now, <laughs> yeah. which aren't so much linear. It is interesting to see how much traction VR is going to get in our local market in terms of like an advertising avenue because obviously it's notoriously kind of flawed in terms of cut through. You know, yeah. you're talking about single viewers at a time. It's not like a, it's not an easy thing to roll out. So, I mean, our interest has been primarily around exhibition space and kind of like that large scale, kind of like what's the 21st century version of a museum, you know, um, that kind of stuff. That's where, they, where we've put a, put a lot of our R&D into. And mm-hmm. then obviously gaming as well. We do have a client at the moment that we are developing some VR for as a replacement for After Effects, <laughs> which is really interesting. Um, just purely a technological kind of swap out. We've got a dev team now that kind of outweighs in numbers our motion design team. So they, those guys are always ticking away on something. And it's always lovely to kind of have one of those ideas kicking around and you kind of go like, hey, what, what do you, how do you guys want to, how would you guys skin this? Just throw the brief to them and it's amazing what happens in a couple of days. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting space to see where it does go because there's a lot of theories about it. I think that the pickup has, hasn't been as fast as everyone thought it might be and it comes down to just having the, the headset and the hardware to yeah, run it. And, still expensive, still yep. a massive computer to run it. So you're talking about kiosk yeah. kind of deployment at the moment, which gets you back to that kind of early days of CD-ROM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, exhibition space sort of stuff. So really exciting on one level and then super, uh, yeah, a bit of a letdown on the other. Quite a bleeding edge area at the moment still, but I'm looking forward to the days where I might be able to just jump in and model something up organically with my hands and, yeah, and actually I mean, look real good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one kind of, that's one example of where that could be useful, but, I guess that kind of just the gaming engine, kind of the efficiencies built into it, because I think we forget about how archaic a lot of our kind of compositing software has become. And you kind of get in these situations where you've got some source code that's, you know, getting on 20 years old, with still things being kind of packed on top. And it's getting hard to do jobs. Yeah. You know, especially when you're talking about uh, linear light and kind of you know dynamic inputs and stuff like it's it's these are things that i think those gaming engines are probably gonna slowly take over all of 3d and all of 2d i think it's kind of already happening as well no rendering yeah it's an interesting time the pace of it will increase it'd be interesting for us to catch up in a year and sort of see where it's all at and we might have to make this an annual conversation if not more (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i think it's interesting with the vr thing like just everything about those companies that are developing the software, like even their business models are different. Like it's not even subscription. It's like profit share almost. You know, they're really pushing it. Which is sort of potentially trying to solve that chicken and egg problem of having the content. Yeah, maybe it's a symptom of being, a, a, you know, it's early, early days, but yeah. yeah. It does feel like the Wild West where there's lots of opportunities, but at the same time, it's so vast with those opportunities, you don't know which horse to back a little bit. Yeah. Taking some risks, but um, a little bit more calculated if you can. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. We're doing a repeat of San Francisco 1998. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for the Pro Video Picks. 
on the podcast we like to do a little section which is pick of the week so i want to ask you just a few little questions i hope you don't mind no go for it sweet so do you have a pick of the week for the audience in terms of like an actual piece i was recommended um this sort of visual artist guy zach lieberman uh, I can't remember by who. And he does some amazing kind of like maths-based um, art installation. But he's got an Instagram account, which is just like quite refreshing because it's all kind of um, how do you make kind of mathematics and, and computer-generated imagery organic mm-hmm. and mesmerizing. His output's astonishing. And I've just been kind of hanging out, looking at all those different little animations and loops. And the thing that's really cool about it from a motion design kind of point of view is that most of it, you kind of go, I don't know how you'd do that. I don't know how you'd do that. And it's like, it's one of those sort of things where you kind of like really kind of challenges you because it's all computational. But yeah, his Instagram account is fantastic. I imagine it's going to be those wells that you can just keep tapping forever. I would suggest going there and hanging out for a good you know hour or so is that one of your favorite social media places instagram for sort of just no it's just for that to be one of the side projects i kind of find that really alluring but in terms of like social media although i'm always looking at motionographer and all the usual kind of suspects for inspiration because that's the result of inspiration usually i'm kind of more into photography architecture art so like um this isn't happiness um, all those sorts of like this is colossal you know any website that starts with this <laughs> seems to be really good but like the more kind of like challenging kind of art kind of websites that kind of don't really have a lot of advertising or even film I think they're kind of my kind of go-tos and then I guess because I'm surrounded by lots of visual people my Facebook feed's quite good as well. <laughs> it's always someone posting a little something. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a classic old guy thing to say, eh? Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> I heard the kids are all on Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. I thought I was pretty hip with Instagram. <laughs> yeah, photography is a huge passion of mine. That's where I draw a lot of inspiration from too. The beauty of composition and light and those fundamentals again yeah the basics yeah Yeah. you never stop learning or being inspired by that seems so simple but so kind of limitless doesn't it yeah yeah so where can people follow you online or um, see what you're up to online assembly limited is probably the best we're pretty lazy when it comes to (laughs) tweeting and putting stuff out I guess we reserve it for when they've got something really special to share. Yeah, so that's probably the best place. Or send me a fax on... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nine. Yeah. No, there's such a huge amount of work on your site and so many masterclasses in motion design. So many hours spent for our audience viewing this work and soaking in all the different work that Assembly and you have created. That's the wrap-up of our show. Thanks so much, Johnny, for coming in tonight and talking with me. It's been a huge honour to have you on the show as one of the early guests. So thank you very much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Blair. I'd like to say thank you to worldpodcast.com who are proudly presenting this episode and recommend that you check out their website for all the other great shows that they have. I personally have really enjoyed the latest episodes of Stupid Questions for Scientists. I found it a hilarious discussion between scientists and comedians. 
really recommend you checking it out. Another great show, the Social Media Strategy Podcast. Social media is such an important part of day-to-day business. Really recommend you checking out that show as well. I hope that you've enjoyed the show. Please take a moment to go to iTunes, leave a comment, leave a review and rate the show. It helps so much for others to be able to find the show as well. If you could do that, I'd be really grateful. So thank you. Again, thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.